Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, it's the one you've all been waiting for, the Tennis Channel Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here, as always, hosts the show. We have the ATP Finals coming up next week, and this week's episode features an extensive preview of all the action in London at the O2 Arena. And our guest on this week's show, top five player, TC analyst, Jimmy Arias, calling in from Florida. Jimmy, thanks for joining the show again. My pleasure, as always. Thanks, Mitch. Well, I'm not going to bury the lead. We're going to get into the action, but I, I do want to start with this. Uh, Jimmy, I am congratulating you on the family expanding because I heard some news that that was the case this week. Yeah, it's uh, actually, in some ways, it's sad. I'm becoming not just a grandfather once, but a grandfather twice. So I can't hide the fact that I'm a grandpa <laughs> any longer, but I, I now have a granddaughter and a grandson that is one day old. So, yeah, that's it. exciting stuff. Eight pounds four ounces, a big strapping young boy named Brooks. Well, that's awesome. Brooks Weatherford, actually. I got his, his last name is Weatherford, not Arias. It's, you know, it's my daughter's. Oh, well. She got married and didn't, didn't keep my name. It's all good. <laughs> well, <laughs> con- well, congrats on the, on the grandchildren. Uh, unfortunately, condolences on getting older. Uh, goes yes, thank saying. you. But, yes, uh, thank you. It's an exciting time, and, and I do want to you know transition to tennis. We're at the ATP Finals, Jimmy, and you know we made it here. I think that's part of the thing we got to at least appreciate that with all the uncertainty going on in the world with COVID and with all the restrictions and players unfortunately testing positive. It is pretty cool that uh, the tennis tours and the players staying committed were able to get to this point, and we got to the final. It is somewhat remarkable, isn't it, in a, in a lot of ways, because the world stopped for that amount of time, and tennis players continue to practice. That's the one nice thing about tennis is you're socially distanced when you're playing at least singles. So they were able to continue practicing on the during that COVID time. And then for the tournaments, the tour, the players, to all sort of figure out a way to, to at least keep the tennis tour going and ended up getting in three of the four majors um, during the season and now the tour finals to end the year. I mean, from a tennis standpoint, it's almost a you know normal full year in some ways. And, you know, kudos to everyone involved that sort of had to go through all the hoops to organize that. And, and for the most part, it's been a pretty safe and successful campaign that we've had. It took a lot of commitment from everyone involved, including the players and including players, you know, at the top. These are the top eight players, you know, finishing the year essentially and we're not really missing too many I mean we got we got some first timers that we'll get into but a lot of heavy hitters a lot of big names and a lot of the players we expected to be here got here which wasn't a guarantee I am a little there's a little melancholy nature to this Jimmy because this is the last year it's going to be in London the O2 arena it's been a staple of uh, the end of the year the action's been exciting Uh, change isn't always a bad thing but uh, we'll have to appreciate this last one in London for sure I mean, no question, it's been incredibly successful in London. It's sort of 
harkens back from my era, and now we're going back quite a ways. But for most of those years, or a lot of the years, it was at Madison Square Garden um, in New York in those early 80s. And that was also sort of a melancholy feel that it was leaving that arena um, when it did. And obviously, it found a home at the O2, a very successful home. The way they ran that event over the years was was amazing, and they have had so many tremendous matches look it's been a nice time to have been hosting the finals because it's uh, virtually it was the same four or five or six guys every year you knew who was going to make it to the tour finals they were the big rivals and so it was almost you you got used to knowing who was going to get there now things are going to change at some point someday and i guess they changed a little bit this year because we're missing a few but um, it's been a great run in London, and hopefully we'll have one more great event there in a in a week or so. We're all looking forward to that. I do want to just talk about the nature of the tournament with you. This is unlike essentially any other tournament of the year. It's round robin, it's group stages, and if you look at the results in the last couple of years, it hasn't been the big names that have won it. You go to Sitsipas last year, Zverev before uh, the year before that, when he hadn't really, when he was starting to come into his own as an as, a, as an established top five player. You had Dimitrov beating Gofan. You've really only had one member of the big three in the final in the last couple of years. So, what do you think it is about this tournament that produces some, you know, unexpected results in a game in a, in a men's tennis tour that has had the top kind of centralized the last couple of years? Uh, I think there's probably a combination of reasons. Um, one of them is often the top players have played so much already for the year, and it's almost as if they take maybe perhaps a little bit of a breather. Um, that's one possible reason. The other reason is the surface itself sort of isn't conducive for Rafa Nadal to do particularly well, and he hasn't done well there over the years. And his game is so physical that by the end of the year, he's broken down as many times as not. So it's, it's a combination of those things. You're already missing one, I guess is what I'm, where yeah. I'm getting at. You're going to miss one of the big four. He never seems to, to do that well at the O2. And then, you know, it should be a perfect sort of surface for Roger. Um, but again, he's, as he's gotten older, his schedule gets, you know, a little more scarce. And I don't know if, he possibly tuned out a little bit by the very end of the season. What would make it really awesome is if those guys had gotten into the tournament with sort of number one in the line yeah. for whoever wins the year end. There was one year I remember Gustavo Kirton, Safin, Sampras, and Agassi, I think were all sort of fighting for the number one. And, and shockingly, because it was an indoor court, Gustavo Kirton beat yeah. Sampras and um, ended up winning the title and getting the number one ranking. I sort of have a memory of, of that. That would be something that would have been extra special to see with these guys playing for a year-end number one ranking. Unfortunately, this year, Djokovic sort of already wrapped it, wrapped it up. I sort of wanted Nadal to go ahead and play Sophia and see if he could, you know, put a little fear in him. Yeah, it's a uh, you know it's it's a proving ground for sure for some of these young players that that want to use this tournament as a launching pad like Zverev and Tsitsipas have. But you know it's also the round robin thing is fascinating. You could lose a first round match, you can lose your first match, you could get kind of just killed in some of these matches, like Zverev did against Djokovic two years ago, and then beat that same guy in the final. So I think the mentality and 
And what I look at this tournament, Jimmy, is how well these players are, or maybe not so well, at coming back after after a loss is huge. If you can bounce back after one bad match early in the group stage, you can still come out of your group and then still make a run and win the title. So I think it's who can bounce back the most. Because you, you don't usually see a player run through the field. The talent at this event is too good to essentially go undefeated most years. I think in, in some ways it's sort of, you know, you look back at some people that have won titles in majors. They've done it sort of, often you feel as though they've come back from a match early in the tournament where they were down a match point and you got that sense that now they're going to be tough to beat. And in this system with the round robin where you can actually lose a match and you can make some adjustments, it's going to be just that much more difficult to beat them. And, you know, that example that you used with Zverev and Djokovic, how tough is it to beat someone that's a very good player two days within a few days, True. two times in a few days span. There's going to be adjustments made by the guy who lost. And the guy who won is going to sort of think, well, I'm just going to do what I did last time. And, it's you know, the adjustments are going to be made from the guy who lost. So to beat someone twice in a short period of time, you're probably just, you know, at least for that week, a level better than, than your opponent. That's a very good point. Uh, and you also have the factor of finishing up the matches because uh, of the tiebreaker system. Who can finish, even in a losing effort, make it competitive and not just you know have no momentum and no positives after a loss. Uh, let's get into the draw really quick because I thought it was fascinating. The draw pretty much went as it, as you know perfectly by seeds as it could. You have the Sunday group starting on Sunday. Team plays Sitsipas in a rematch of last year's final. Rublev plays Nadal. And on Monday, you have Djokovic versus Schwartzman and Medvedev versus Zverev. So, again, it's basically, you know, you're 2 7, 3 6 on one side, 1 8, 4 5 in terms of seeds on the other. Quick initial thoughts, Jimmy, on the draw. Did anything stand out at you? Um, no, not, not really. I mean, I, I feel as though Nadal is the one who, who comes out of the gate sort of with a uh, playing Rublev with a guy that's going to be hitting through the court. We're going to sense right away whether or not Nadal can play on the surface. It's sort of a dead year after year. It might be different this year, but year after year, it's sort of been a little dead. So the ball doesn't hop off of, of the surface, and his top spin really doesn't do much. And so he's had all kinds of problems, and he's playing a guy that just takes a full cut at everything from inside the baseline. So if he's able to get by that Rublev match, I'm going to be interested to see if he can – yeah. finally win sort of a you know a title here in the uh, final yeah for his i think 86 career titles he's lost in the final of the atp uh finals twice 2010 to fed 2013 to joker uh has not won here hadn't won in paris either where he lost his Zverev in the semifinals there i get the sense I'm, I'm with you that this first match is going to be an indicator let's see what he's got because the competition is so advanced but you know i'm wondering too if this weird schedule in a way might have kind of helped Rafa for this. I mean, we'll see if he can play on this surface, Jimmy, but I bring that up because he doesn't, he doesn't have the miles on him that he would in a normal year. So maybe that might keep him fresher. No guarantee that he can perform well, but it could be a good thing. No question. We're going to see whether it's been surface or his body breaking down that caused him to not play particularly well at the end of the year every year because you're right. He doesn't have huge miles. I suspect that it is his game that doesn't love it, it just doesn't set up nicely for the strengths that he has. A lower bouncing sort of debtor court doesn't accentuate his positives. Having said that, 
he's also the kind of guy that's always problem solving, always trying to figure out a way. And he's going to have had, he, he likes the fact that in Paris, he played, you know, a number of matches. He didn't lose early. He got to the semi. So he's, you know, building up and he's the kind of guy that he can't make that switch very quickly. There's so much racket head speed for him and so much timing. The way he hits his forehand, there's weird things happening in the backswing. That takes him timing. And a surface change, anything like that causes him a little bit, takes him a little more time to get accustomed to this new bounce, new surface. So, you know, I think it's going to help him that he's fresh and that he's had a few matches under his belt on a similar surface that was in Paris. And now we'll just see if, if he can impose himself the way he often does on players with his game. On the surface, it doesn't really suit what he does. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, I was thinking about Rafa the other day, too, that he's not somebody for, for how great and accomplished he is. It's not about accolades for him. It, it's almost, in a way, about challenges. So I think he looks at the math, at the ATP finals as not just another notch in the belt, but you know, a, a chance to you know accomplish a challenge he hasn't yet. So I'm excited for this first match because he's playing a guy in Rublev, and Rublev's 2020 with five titles, a 40 and eight record, uh, just a phenomenal run for him this year on the ATP tour. Outside the top 20 to start the year, now goes to his first ATP Finals. And Jimmy, that first round matchup against Rafa is the guy that Rublev said was his ultimate athlete idol, his all-time favorite. This is somebody who's playing his best tennis and is going to be geared up for this match. So I wonder what it's going to be like playing against the, the guy he looked up to for all those years. Yeah, I think that's an interesting conundrum that you have as a younger player when you're coming up and you're seeing the guys that you watched on TV that you sort of dreamed about playing when you were a kid. That's when you're hitting against the wall, you're thinking, you know, I'm playing Nadal in the finals of Roland Garros if you're Rublev, most likely. Well, here he is playing him in the finals of the O2 arena in the – in the ATP Tour Finals. Having said that, watching Rublev play, he's, he is very intense. Both of these guys are going to be pretty intense. And he's going to leave everything out there the same way as his hero Nadal does on every point. And I think the one thing about Rublev's game to me that needs to keep improving is he has to have some variety. I, I think if it was on any other surface, Nadal would take care of Rublev comfortably, even his big and as hard as Rublev hits the ball. I just feel as though he doesn't have much variety. He has one speed and Rafa would get accustomed to that and be able to break his game down. On this surface, I'm not so sure. Um, one thing that you said earlier to me that was interesting about Rafa is it's not about the accolades to me. And, and one thing I've realized from Rafa, what I feel, one of the things he said after he won the French Open and, you know, we're going for greatest of all time. Yeah. And so obviously when you're playing Djokovic or Federer in the finals of a major, and that's sort of how everyone's gauging who the greatest of all time is. That becomes just a massive match from a, most people's perspective in a pressure situation. And Nadal, to me, is a guy that just 
he is able to break down tennis to today's match. Whoever I'm playing today is the biggest match. I'm just trying to figure out how to beat that other guy today. And he doesn't worry about tomorrow or what happened in the past. And he does that so well that I think that's sort of the way he's thinking. He's not going to think about, oh, I've never done well in the O2 arena. He's going to think, how do I win this point against Rublev, this first point in the match? And he's going to do that every single point. He's been able to break tennis down to that sort of in-the-moment type of game, and it's remarkable how well he does it. It really is, uh, and I don't know many that could you know, shoulder the weight of all the pressure and the expectations that he's had, for sure. Uh, the, tw- the TC Live podcast with Jimmy Arias here on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here as well. Uh, I want to talk about Novak Djokovic now. Based on what we've seen, uh, it's been an interesting month, I'll say, for tennis for Djokovic. He's still 39-3 and with four titles on the year. Had the drubbing loss to Nadal at the French Open. Went to Vienna. Lost to Sinego and uh, wasn't even close. Won three games in that match. But he is still clinched the year-end number one. And with the win at the ATP Finals, Jimmy, it will tie Roger Federer for the most all-time ATP Finals, which would be six. We're at a point with Djokovic where we kind of, and I'm speaking for myself here, but we kind of want to see what his headspace like, how engaged he's going to be, because we know the game's there. Is there anything in particular you're going to look for Djokovic out of Djokovic in his first match against Schwartzman right out of the gate to let you know that, you know, he's locked in and focused and ready to go. I mean, I guess one of the tells for me with, with Djokovic when he's not locked in is that he tends to lose balance. And by that, I, I mean, you see him sort of hit a shot and, and suddenly he's not in the athletic position. He's bent over or he's leaning back. He's doing strange things with his body when he's not quite as engaged. When he's playing his best tennis, he has incredible balance, an incredible base that he works off of with his legs. That you know he, he can stretch and run and, and still be in perfect balance. It has been a strange sort of last little part of the year here, obviously starting with the U.S. Open. I mean, the way the U.S. Open went and the way he was playing leading up, it, was, it felt like it was 100%. I mean, obviously nothing's 100% force, but it was 99.9% that he was going to win the U.S. Open. Um, he didn't have to deal with, you know, the other big three. And, and, and you know, as we saw even in the finals, the two, the two guys that played in the finals, they were so tight trying to get their, their title that you don't think, even if they had had the chance, if they were playing Djokovic in the finals, they probably couldn't have gotten over the finish line just from an experience standpoint in some way so I think that obviously started things off in a in a very strange and difficult way for him and then you know I I thought going into Roland Garros final he had a better than even chance of beating Rafa there because everybody was telling me the court served you know softer that ball's not flying off the court as much it's not jumping this is his one chance he has beaten Rafa on clay before he has and to get drubbed the way he got drubbed um that was a little off-putting. And then obviously the Senego thing that you mentioned where it looked as though, you know, I've gotten the number one in the world. I'm not going to try. And what's, what's funny to me or interesting to me is when I think back about it is throughout history, top players, number one in the world, have often had, you know, a couple times a year at least where they'll have a match where they just don't have it that day. Yeah. And the thing that 
is remarkable about these these big three, and and you know Murray when he was in that sort of shape and in the big four, they almost never came and didn't play well. They didn't just throw away matches. Him losing to Snega one and two is impossible. You don't see it ever from those guys. So that's why it's strange, and we're going to see what we have. You know that. What a nice test to start off. If he's mentally not feeling great, do you want to play Diego Schwartzman? <laughs> no. <laughs> or it's gonna, where you're, you're going to have to hit so many quality shots to win a point every every point. So that that's that's going to tell you right out of the gate, isn't it? If he if he's mentally ready to to play this week. Now nobody wants to see Schwartzman on on the other side of the net on their side of the draw. I think we've kind of established that and. You're right, Jimmy. We've kind of gotten spoiled by this generation. We treat a loss by them to someone outside of the top you know, 10, 20 as an event. Like, how could this happen? What Something yeah. must be wrong. Exactly. <laughs> but, and in the past, it always happened. It's, just, it's amazing what they've done, the level they've gotten to. I think Djokovic trying to tie Federer or pass Federer in anything is going to be added motivation. So I do think, hard to believe, you know, he had that run of, uh, I think, four in a row. Yeah, four in a row from, or five in a row. Yeah, four in a row from 2012 to 2015. So hard to believe he hasn't won since then. I think he will be, you know, locked in because you said he has to be from that first match. The group also contains Medvedev and Zverev. But also just want to give props, as I'm sure you do, to uh, Schwartzman for qualifying for the ATP finals. I mean, just to get to this point, his first, you know, appearance here, a remarkable growth in him and, and sticking with the game and, you know, having put in the time to get to be one of the last eight standing. Yeah, it's sort of interesting you used the word growth when you were talking about uh, Diego Schwartzman. But oh. look. Um, <laughs> That's good. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, I can say that because I'm right around. We, he, he and I are right yeah. about eye to eye. I'm, I'm, I might be a couple inches taller, actually. And he's my hero, I got to say, on a lot of levels. Because playing with today's players, the power, the athleticism that they're bringing to be 5'7", very difficult for him to get a free point with his serve. So he's got to win. Virtually every point he wins is because he won it. He started the point and he outdueled you in a rally. He does have amazing power for his size. He, he from the back of the court. It's, it's kind of remarkable. But you know, I, I don't know the the history of when was the last time someone under five foot nine made it to the World Tour Finals. But it feels to me like. I don't know how how tall David Ferrer is, but before him, I mean, Harold Solomon, 1980, you know, Eddie Dibbs, those kind of names are the only people I can think of. So what he's done in today's day and age, Diego Schwartzman, it's amazing. And, you know, at the end of the season, normally when you're going for that World Tour final for the first time, you can get really tight. And you can see certain guys can handle that pressure and others can't. He handled it no problem. He won the matches he needed to win. It didn't affect him. The pressure didn't affect him at all. So kudos, of course, to Diego. Big kudos to him. Uh, and the other match in that same group I just want to mention is Medvedev and Zverev, a rematch of that Paris final that Medvedev won going away. Medvedev's year last year where he set the tennis world on fire in the summer, 12 appearances to a semi or better, just two this year. But he's kind of got that look. like He's got his mojo back and – He's playing. He's playing a guy in Zverev who, if you take away that that you know horrible performance by his standards in the Paris final, had been playing some good tennis since uh, the French Open as well, won a pair of titles in Germany as well. So, 
I'm excited for this match. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on if this rematch, if these two top players playing each other so quick again, and maybe the possibility of playing a couple times in this tournament, is going to mean anything one way or the other, a rematch right out of the gate. I mean, yes, it's a different venue, however, a different tournament, and, you know, a different sort of day. So we'll see if that Paris final meant much. I don't think it will going towards this tournament. It's a similar surface, but usually London's a bit slower and a bit lower, and it just seems to me that both of these guys are interesting to me from the standpoint of you don't really know what you're always going to get. Um from Zverev, obviously, when he suddenly loses it a little bit in the confidence department, his second serve, you don't know what whether it's going to be 30 miles an hour or 130 miles an hour. And I'm not really even exaggerating in some ways. It's amazing to, to see what happens to him when he feels pressure. And then, obviously, the forehand can come and go with him when he's feeling pressure. So if, he's, if Zverev is relaxed, there are no holes really in his game. I mean, he can return so well. He's so lengthy and long and moves well from the back of the court. His serve is 135 miles an hour, 140 miles an hour if he wants to on a first serve. And there's nothing wrong with emotion. It's just that the, from the mental side, the rhythm goes on him when he gets tight. So will that happen to him? Who knows? You don't know from, you almost don't know within a match. He could be going along fine, and at four all, all of a sudden something snaps. He hits one double, and you don't know what's going to happen for the next 15 minutes. So he's always exciting to watch from that standpoint. And for Medvedev, in today's game, it's strange. Most of the players, if you're the better player, you win on hard, you win on clay, you win on the carpet, you win on everything because everyone plays the same style. Everyone plays from the back of the court. So if I'm beating you in the back of the court on hard court, I can also do it on clay, and I can also do it indoors but that's not the case for medvedev really is he cannot play on clay seemingly yeah it's crazy you know it's been that sort of u.s hard court that has been the one surface where you know he's going to play well having said that he finally got it right in paris maybe he's got a little bit of of swagger left a very strange game medvedev to me that you know almost hitting side spinny looking strokes i don't know how they go in but (laughs) but he doesn't, he doesn't miss them and defends and moves so well. So, you know, it'll be an interesting master watch. That's a very tough group, obviously, because all of those guys are capable of, of, of beating both Medvedev and Zverev are capable of beating anybody yeah. when they're playing and when they're right. Wrapping up the TC Live podcast with Jimmy Arias here, uh, I agree with you on, on the point on Zverev. It's almost like that serve is just – it's the most volatile shot in tennis almost, you know, it's when it's on, it's, it's, it's awesome. You kidding me? I, I, I love that. I love seeing sort of a, the train wreck possibly happening. So that's sort of fun to, Oh no, let's see if this starts it. Yeah. But at the same time, he manages to sort of overcome it in a lot of matches. So that's hard to do. It's difficult to do. And, and so yeah. you, you feel for him because he wants it so badly. And it, I remember his U.S. Open sort of speech. You know, it's almost as if he feels the weight of his whole family. It's not just, it's not just him. It's his whole family. That's, and it's you feel for him in some ways. 
68 miles an hour on match point at the U.S. Open final was just, I mean, that, that's insane. Um, team, well, look, yeah. I just got to throw in one yeah. quick story because I do, I do have a record. That I know. Be broken, <laughs> but but that, that serve that you're talking about that he hit, geez, it had to be close. Um, and that record was, at the end of my career, I kind of got the yips on my serve, and I was trying to serve out a match at 5-3 in the final set. And 30-15, I missed the first serve. And in my head, because I had the yips, I'm, you know, oh, no, double fault's coming. I toss the ball behind me. I kind of shank the, the serve. It flutters in the air. It hits the net and rolls over. And it was on a stadium court, so it had the radar gun. I turned around and looked 37 miles per hour. That, wow. will, ne- that will never be broken. No one has served it slower than 37, and no one ever will. Yeah. You can basically, I mean, you basically could drive in a school zone with that. So I think we're pretty yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> incredible uh i do want to get your thoughts on the last match before we you know make some picks here uh that actually the first match of the tournament was the last match of last year team and sits two players that have put together the years they have team winning the u.s open actually taking some time off after losing to rubov in vienna which is kind of a foreign concept to him and sits mm-hmm. who's Mentally is kind of a different cat. We we know that he's kind of taken like a, a you know a holistic approach to certain things, but won the tournament here last year and doesn't really fear playing these big top players. So I think that's a great tone center again to see what level both these guys have. But it seems like when these two play a match, it's always exciting and there's going to be a lot of shot making. Uh, no question. I mean, obviously it's two great ground strokers with Sissipas being the one that can sort of take the ball early, finish. Sissipas' forehand to me is the most like Roger Federer's of any of today's players, meaning he freezes his opponent often by stepping up, taking it early, and ripping it, and players don't even seem to be able to react. They don't seem to read his forehand very well. He does have sort of, to me, the, the bigger weakness on the court, having said that. I think a ball up high to his backhand causes him some issues. But in this matchup, on these courts, it's hard to get the ball up high to his backhand. So, you know, his biggest weakness is going to be hard to expose. The other sort of strange thing about Sissipas' game in second serve is, to me, something you can attack. It's, it's a little bit – it doesn't have a huge kick to it. It's a little bit slicey. But the way team plays, he stays in the fence. So how much can you attack something from 300 feet behind the baseline? So it, w- what I expect is a lot of tough, hard rallies, and you'll see the amazing ground strokes from, from team off both wings, and you'll see Sissy Potts when he gets a short ball taking advantage with the forehand, and we'll just see who's sort of more confident, who wins the big points. That It's going to come down to just a, a couple of points with some, uh, some tremendous shot making from both. Well, I can't wait for this tournament. Uh, Jimmy Arias, before I let you go, I uh, want to get some some prediction-ish things. You don't have to pick a winner, but I'm just interested in who you think is going to play well and at least get to the final stage, uh, especially that first group, which we just finished talking about. I mean, I think you could easily see any any combination of those four guys, Rublev, Nadal, Sitsipas, and team in the semifinals, which you probably could say for the other for the other group as well. But any, uh, any predictions, any thoughts going into what you expect to see happen? Um, I have to say, probably not. I don't I look at that draw, and you always, I normally always think Djokovic, when he's playing his best, no one can beat him. But because of the way the last 
couple months went and the way that he showed some sort of mental fragility, I'm not sure that he's going to be Djokovic. So if he was the normal Djokovic, I would be all in on him being in the finals. Um, but I'm not so sure. Zverev should be very confident because he's played so well indoors. He won two titles in a row, made the finals in Paris, got all kinds of confidence, won the title before, you know. Um, but that volatile serve, it's just, who knows what's going to happen all of a sudden in the middle of the match. So it's, it's, all of these players obviously have the ability to beat everybody else. I, Djokovic and Nadal, if it wasn't on an indoor court and, and Djokovic was feeling well, those are the two I'd say would be in the finals this year. I honestly have no idea. So that's why it's going to be a great tournament to watch. Yeah, I would say my thought is I think the Russians are going to do well. I think Rublev is going to do well enough to get to at least the semi, and I think Medvedev is finding his groove as well. Medvedev is going to be tough to beat here. That's that's my prediction. But I think those those I, are the players. I like that you're you know you're willing to unlike me you're willing to put it on the line. I'll and, put and it. Make a prediction. So congratulations. <laughs> Call me and you know yeah. after the first. Yeah. After the first couple of matches, and I'll give you a better feel. Yeah, we won't have to scrub this from the internet if I'm wrong, hopefully. But Yeah, uh, exactly. Jimmy Arias, thanks for joining the TC Live podcast. Congrats again on the grandchildren. And uh, also congrats on being the answer now to a tennis trivia question that we have on record. Slowest serve. <laughs> yeah, slowest serve ever recorded. All right. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Be good, Mitch. That See you was, guys. Absolutely. That was Jimmy Arias on the TC Live podcast. A reminder that you can catch every episode on the Tennis Podcast Network, tennis.com slash podcast for every episode on all your podcast platforms as well. We'll be back next week to get into the final four of the ATP Finals in London. We'll be down to the wire as the tennis season concludes. I'm Mitch Michaels for Jimmy Arias. Thank you for listening to the TC Live podcast. See you next week. <laughs>